You're listening to Soundbite, a podcast that's food for your ears. I'm Celine Roberts. Chances are you've looked around your local grocery store and seen an increasing number of foods that are marketed as gluten-free. Unless you or someone you know keeps a gluten-free diet, you may have cocked an eyebrow and wondered if gluten-free baked goods could ever be as delicious as your favorite cookies. Jeanette Harris, owner of the Gluten-Free Goat Bakery, has been working to ensure equal opportunity treats are available to everyone. Today, you'll hear her story, learn some tips and tricks for baking gluten-free, and follow along as we whip up some coconut lime donuts. My name is Jeanette Harris, and I'm the owner of Gluten-Free Goat Bakery. You're opening a storefront in Garfield soon. Yes, we're going to be right on Penn Avenue, 4905 Penn Avenue, and we're opening in the fall, and we're going to be having both brunch all week and baked goods. So, Danette, I actually found you when you were at the public market. Yeah, we were there for a year before they closed. Your donuts are what got me hooked, and I'm really excited to make some today. Awesome. We're going to be doing that later, everyone. Sorry, you're not here. (laughs) But what I want to have you talk about first is how you got into gluten-free baking and how you came to be where you are now, sort of like at the eve of opening your shop. Yeah, so I found out that I had celiac about 10 years ago, but even before that, I loved to bake. I would always experiment, baking, cooking, anything in the kitchen was always a really happy place for me. It was almost like a white noise activity. And so when I found out I had celiac, I started from scratch and I started learning the science of baking gluten-free because it's very different. And that's kind of where my passion started. And after a while, I realized that there wasn't really enough gluten-free options in the city, especially not baked goods. And so I decided to try my hand at it. And it's been good so far. We've been almost two years in the making and now we're going to be opening our brick and mortar. Let's start with a working definition of celiac disease versus gluten intolerance? That's one of the first questions that people ask me when they come up to me. They say, well, what is gluten-free? What does that even mean? Uh, For someone like me, I have celiac and it's an autoimmune disorder. So it's a little bit more serious as in its effect on your body. So I can't really process wheat or barley or oats. And the problem is, is that it won't break it down. So it made me sick in a lot of different ways when I was younger. I had severe migraines. I was really underweight. I would always just have stomach issues. I was chronic fatigue. The list goes on. Uh, Symptoms present itself different in every person. So it really depends. Um, But gluten sensitivity is a whole different thing where it's just your body has trouble processing it. That just means that you might get bloated, you might also get headaches, you might not feel well, and it's still important to eat less gluten or things that are gluten-free. And gluten intolerance, gluten sensitivity are kind of the same thing. A gluten allergy, on the other hand, is a whole different thing. It's when you have an anaphylactic reaction, and that's super rare. People do have that as well, though. Uh, And I think that's the biggest misconception, like, oh, you have a gluten allergy. It's like, no, actually... I have celiac, which is a little bit different. It doesn't present itself right away, but once it hits my digestive system, then I get sick. And how long might you suffer from the effects of gluten if you had some by mistake? It depends on the quantity of it. So I do my best to avoid it, but going out to eat, as you could imagine, is very stressful for me because any cross-contamination can get me very sick. If I have just a little bit, I might get a migraine the next day and just feel, I basically feel like I have a hangover. I call it the wheat hangover. So I wake up, I feel like I drank a bottle of wine by myself, uh, maybe like a truck hit me or something. And so I just have a headache. I feel run down. I don't feel good. If it happens 
in succession, maybe a couple days in a row, then I start to have symptoms like a cold. I might also, I have this really weird side effect that I also get water blisters on my legs and feet, which is really severe. And it's not as common. It's more common in Eastern Europe. But uh, yeah, so maybe TMI on that one, but that's one of my side effects. I, I think that that sort of drives home though, how serious it can be. And sort of middle ground too, right? Like it's not either I have a tummy ache or I'm in anaphylactic shock. Mm -hmm. It's I have this really uncomfortable physical reaction that is not like death or discomfort, but severe problems. Exactly. Which I don't know if I've thought about it that way before. It was always sort of like one side or the other of the spectrum. I think would make people a lot more sympathetic to it if they knew stuff like that. Yeah, and I understand why there, again, in pop culture right now, it's really cool to be gluten-free and it's quote-unquote healthy. That's not necessarily what it means. It's, it's different, again, it's different for each person too. Their reactions can be varied. A lot of people consider gluten-free baked goods kind of like a last resort for dessert. Or on the opposite end, they consider them healthier. Right. And I have a feeling that neither of those things are true. (laughs) Right. No, that's one of the first misconceptions of the pop culture idea of gluten-free is that gluten-free means healthy. And it doesn't. It's just um, the same thing as vegan doesn't necessarily mean healthy because it can still have a lot of sugar and other things in it. I try to keep my stuff as healthy as possible. We only bake our donuts. I only use organic sugar, but I still do use sugar in my items. Um, So it's still a treat. It's a healthier treat than your average donut, but it's still, yeah, you shouldn't have three a day, basically. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you, but. (laughs) So they're not necessarily healthier, but as far as being a last resort dessert for somebody who can't eat gluten, Do you think that there are any other benefits to eating gluten-free if you don't have celiac? Absolutely. Um, I've read a lot about celiac disease as well as just having intolerances or even having sensitivities. And the more I dove into that, I also read a lot about how basically a diverse grain diet can be good for anyone, whether you have allergies or not. Your body just does better with variety, especially with grain variety. So eating gluten-free isn't necessarily, like you said, a last resort or the only option for someone like me, because you can also make gluten-free desserts from things that are naturally gluten-free. So for example, there's a lot of almond flour in Italian baking, and there's no reason that you would need to add regular flour because it's just a different texture, it's a different flavor. So yeah, I mean, obviously my opinion is that they're not a last resort, but I also feel like it shouldn't be viewed as this health food only good for hippies or yoginis or whatever you want to say. (laughs) So I have the good fortune of being in your kitchen. Yeah. And when I'm looking around, I see that you've got a chalkboard on the wall with conversions. All of these quart containers of different sorts of flowers. Yeah. Can you walk me through what you got over here? Sure. We have quite a few different alternative flowers here. And this is Probably the question I get asked most when people come up to me and ask me, well, what do you make things out of then if you don't use wheat flour? But there are so many options. It's really easy now, especially because they're more widely available than they were 10 years ago when I first found out. So we have potato starch, tapioca flour or starch, whatever you want to call it, um, arrowroot powder, organic brown rice flour, which is our base flour for basically everything that we make. 
sorghum, sorghum flour, uh, ground flax, which we use as an egg substitute since all of our baked goods are vegan. And then we also have a sugar alternative here, coconut sugar, some coconut flour, um, a binder, which is xanthan gum. And that's basically, oh, and some almond flour too. Oh, and I sometimes use quinoa flour as well as garbanzo bean flour is sort of something that keeps the moisture and it makes it a little more nutty flavor as well. Is there one that you're sort of extra fond of? I love almond flour. It's one of my favorite things to bake with. It's more expensive, and so we don't have a lot of, a lot of our wholesale goods are not made with almond flour because we'd have to charge like $6 a donut, which is not, um, obviously a little too expensive for most people. But I'd say almond flour is my favorite. As far as price goes, since you're working with flours that are less available mm -hmm. than your average wheat flour or all-purpose flour, is price something that you have to factor in more than you would say like the average baker would? Yes, I had to do a lot of comparison shopping. And to be honest, there's not too many sources where you can buy gluten-free flours from. And that's why one of my long-term goals is to start milling all of my own flours so that I could bring the cost down and also make sure everything is non-GMO. So my next project, again, this is down the road, but after the bakery is up and running and we have things smooth in a couple of years, I'm hoping to open a separate facility that's more of a production facility to make my own flour. It's a longer term goal, but I'm pretty excited about it. I'm going to talk to you while you're moving around your kitchen Okay. in preparation to bake coconut lime donuts, which I am very excited about. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, so we're going to be making coconut lime donuts, which is going to involve lime zest, some coconut milk. I'm actually going to use some coconut cream to make it really rich and creamy. And then we're going to make like a nice little glaze that involves some lime zest and uh, coconut as well, a little powdered sugar. You'd think I would have this memorized by now, but because we do different quantities all the time, I can never remember exactly how much to add of everything. When I first started baking gluten-free, because I was a baker before, I thought, oh, I'll get this, no problem. Most of my stuff turned out like rocks or the densest thing I've ever eaten. It was terrible. So when I first started, I'd be very precise. And now I can actually look at a batter and understand, oh, this is how it's going to turn out. That's how it's going to turn out. So we know how to change the moisture. Maybe, oh, this needs a little bit more coconut milk or maybe it needs a little more flour. But it took some time, for sure. So right now I'm just, um, I'm using my fine mesh sieve to put the potato starch in. This is the first ingredient I usually put in because it's very fluffy and airy and otherwise it'll fly everywhere. And arrowroot powder is a really great binder. It's not just used in gluten-free baking. I know that in Indian cooking it's used quite a bit as well, which is great because it's a thickener. I guess it's more of a thickener than a binder. It's a good substitute for cornstarch. I don't use corn in any of our um, wholesale baked goods because I know there's a lot of people that have allergies to corn as well. And we do soy free too because I myself have a soy sensitivity and yeah. <laughs> I call myself a bubble girl because I feel like I have so many food allergies that I should just belong in a bubble. <laughs> Your baked goods mm -hmm. are gluten free, corn free, soy free, and vegan. Yes covers all the freeze. Yes, it does. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Everything except for nut free. That's the one thing we're not. You just, you can't please everybody. It's impossible. So now I'm just adding leavening. One of the tricks with gluten-free baking is adding a little bit of extra leavening. And this is the first tip that I give people that are just starting to learn and trying to figure out how to make things at home gluten-free. 
and um, honestly, I double my leavening whenever I make anything. We use both baking soda and baking powder. I actually make my own baking powder because most baking powder has cornstarch in it. So we do a combination, but it's a mixture of cream of tartar, baking soda, as well as arrowroot. So it keeps it from caking, but it works super well. I use it one for one for baking powder and it works really great. The whole trick with the leavening as well is to always add apple cider vinegar because it reacts with the baking soda. So it gives it a much lighter texture instead of that dense, terrible thing that happens with gluten-free sometimes. But you don't need too much. I just put, I think I only put a tablespoon per dozen. So otherwise you would taste it and it would be very bitter. Scarbonzo bean flour, which yeah. is sort of, you know, yellowy and very fine. Yeah, this one works really well to keep the moisture in. So a lot of issues with gluten-free products, they're either too dense or they're too wet or kind of gooey. And if you add just a little bit of garbanzo bean flour with all these other mixtures, the trick is always you need to use multiple flours when you're doing gluten-free, with the one exception of almond flour, because it's meant to be kind of dense when you're baking with it. So I'm now adding the brown rice flour, which is the base for all of our baked goods, except for the grain-free ones, of course. But I, I really like to start with brown rice because it's a really neutral and, you know, it's actually pretty good for you. I'm definitely not one of those people that prescribe to the wheat belly idea where wheat's bad for everybody or grain's bad for everybody. I think it's, it's just listening to your body and figuring out what works. You're disappointing everyone out there who wishes you were a militant. I know. I always try to explain that to people. I sometimes, it was funny at the public market when we were still had the retail side, I had a lot of people come at me in a somewhat aggressive fashion trying to say, oh, why would I need to eat gluten-free? I was like, well, you don't need to. No, I mean, other than people that have autoimmune disease or otherwise don't have to, but you might feel better. My mother uh, eats gluten-free because she has really bad arthritis and it's made a huge difference for her. Almost done with the dry ingredients, just need a little sea salt. So this is gonna be kind of fun because I've never made these with coconut cream before, the actual thick coconut cream. So I'm curious to see how they'll turn out. It's gonna be a little bit of an experiment. So now we're gonna add some wet ingredients. A way to also keep the moisture into the donuts is that we put unsweetened applesauce in all the donuts because it tends to keep it just like nice and soft even a couple days later. Our, our baked actually have a really long shelf life even though there's no preservatives in them. Um, but I'm trying to decide if I should use the applesauce or the, or sub it out completely for the coconut cream. Let's see how thick this is. I'm gonna try it. Now we're just mixing up the wet ingredients and I'm going to add some zest, some lime zest. We just use this uh, sprayer with some canola oil to spray the pans. 
And then we put all of the batter into a piping bag, like a pastry piping bag, and squeeze it in. It makes it a lot easier, especially when we're doing 20 dozen donuts. We just have these huge pastry bags that we fill up and then pipe them into each one. All right, so we're gonna throw these in. On a nice 90 degree day, baking in the kitchen. <laughs> you have to suffer for your tire. <laughs> it's true. All right, so now I'm going to transfer this and we're going to make the icing while we're waiting for these to bake. So we're going to use, again, a little bit of the coconut cream as well as some more lime zest and just some powdered sugar. We're going to keep it really simple. And we're going to sprinkle some shredded coconut on top to give it a little different texture. Yes, so I start with just some organic powdered sugar and I'm just sifting that. You can never go the lazy route with powdered sugar. Always sift it. And so now I'm just gonna add some more salt, lime zest. I gotta make some more lime zest. I try to keep things pretty simple too. I know earlier explaining how much, how many different ingredients that I use for gluten-free seems kind of intimidating, but, and I try to keep all of the ingredients things that people can recognize too. So when you're reading a label, you're not confused as to what it is. So my goal is always that you cannot tell that it's gluten-free. And whenever someone comes up to me and exclaims, oh my God, I just found out this was gluten-free, it was delicious, I'm not even gluten intolerant, I loved it, that to me is the biggest compliment, when you don't have to eat gluten-free and you can't tell. And that's always my goal with every baked good, is that it's not that you take a bite out of it and you say, oh, that's good for gluten-free, I just want you to enjoy it. And most of my customers, especially those who buy from the coffee shops, all the wholesale, there's our timer. Yeah, there's our timer. But most of my wholesale customers are not gluten-free. And then we'll be able to turn off the oven, thank God. <laughs> it smells like a tropical frozen beverage, which I think is what we're going for. Okay, so that's done. So now we just need to wait for the donuts to be done. That's it. So now we're gonna put the finishing touch on our donuts. I made a kind of thicker coconut cream, lime zest, and some powdered sugar glaze. And we're going to dip them in the glaze and then put some uh, organic flake coconut on top. This is the fun part. I'll just do the rest of them there because I think you've probably put in more than your fair share of work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Your technique is getting more precise as you go. Maybe I should bring you on board. <laughs> she can work part-time once we open. You hear that, City Paper? <laughs> She's poaching me. I'm trying to poach her. And we're done. Almost. One more sprinkle. <laughs> Perfect. There it is. All right. Well, thanks so much for baking with me today. Yeah, it's so much fun. 
Thanks for coming over. I'm very excited to see your bakery when it is up and running. Yes, let's hope that happens sometime this century. <laughs> We're going to say late fall. Yeah, let's say late fall just to be safe. <laughs> if we get lucky, maybe early fall, but you know, it's a process. Okay, I guess, guess we're going to eat some donuts. Yes, let's go eat some donuts. You can't hear that, though. No, you don't want to listen to that. That would be gross. <laughs> Those donuts were fantastic. To find out where to get some of your own and keep up with Gluten Free Goat Bakery, you can check out the website glutenfreegoat.com. For more soundbite, you can go to our archives at pghcitypaper.com. Until next time, go out and have yourself a food adventure.